بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد اللهم لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يا كريم رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأقدة من لساني يفقه قولي all praises belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We praise Him, we seek His assistance, and we seek His guidance, and we seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the evils of our souls and the adverse consequences of our deeds. Whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees guidance upon, then none can misguide Him. And whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees misguidance upon, then none can guide Him. And peace and salutations be upon the final messenger, our beloved Prophet Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah, and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is his final messenger. My dear brothers and sisters in Islam, mothers and fathers, I greet you with the greetings of peace. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I welcome you all to another episode of the blast from the past seerah in the 21st century today is our fifth episode walillahi alhamd and yesterday we discussed the birth of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the lessons that can be derived from this mighty incident in our history today we want to move on and discuss the days after the birth of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and try and deduce pertinent lessons that apply to you and I in this century. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us barakah in our time and grant us barakah in our energies. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase our knowledge. Ameen. Ameen. After the birth of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the mother of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Aminah, was assisted in looking after him by a female called Umm Ayman Barakah Al-Habashiyah. Remember this name. Umm Ayman, the mother of Ayman, Barakah Al-Habashiyah. I'm more interested in the name Barakah. And Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, our beloved Prophet, may Allah gather us with him in Jannah, was fostered by two other females. The first female was a female known as Thuwaybah, and she was the freed slave of Abu Lahab. Believe it or not. Abu Lahab, a person who died being a fierce enemy to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Thuwaybah, this was her name. Take note of this name, Thuwaybah. So you have Barakah and you have Thuwaybah. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam's name is Muhammad, and his mother's name is Aminah. And yesterday we learned that he was born, according to the correct opinion, in Rabi' al-Awwal. Take note of the name or term Rabi' Take note of all these names. So he was breastfed and fostered by Thuwaybah, the freed slave of Abu Lahab. And then he, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, was sent to the countryside to be nurtured there and taken care of by chosen carers in the countryside. And this was a common practice of the Arabs. They would do this. 
This wasn't them abandoning post. Like what we see today, we go to work and leave our child with a carer. This is different. And we'll come to learn why. Right? This was something necessary. And we spoke in our very first lesson, or second lesson rather, of Arabia and how rugged the terrain was to survive there. Specific circumstances arose. And specific practices needed to take place. So... The Arabs would send the young ones for a few years to the countryside or what was called the countryside so that they could experience childhood and grow up in these vicinities. Now, the story uh, pertaining to, or firstly, firstly, let's just deal with it now since we're discussing the countryside. Why would they be sent to the countryside? Why? Why was this practice necessary? Rasulullah was sent to the countryside as was a practice of the Arabs because of the many benefits in doing so. From the benefits, just like what Brother Alan said, is that they were sent there to improve on their language skills. Why? Why get sent to the countryside to improve on your language skills? Right? The Quraysh were well versed in the Arabic language. The reason for this was, remember where he was وسلم, in the heart of Mecca. This place was visited by many people that came from many different backgrounds and grew up upon many different cultures. Some people learned the Arabic language as a second language, right? So they would come in and there would be an array of different dialects, different accents, and even mistakes in language would be prevalent and present. So the children were sent out. Also, from the wisdoms, is that the countryside was cleaner, was cleaner than the city, than this valley that was receiving many guests. We know that when people come from different regions, they carry with them different bacterias, right? And bacterias mutate and so on and so forth. And anyone who goes for Umrah and Hajj, they know they come back with the Umrah and Hajj flu, right? It has to happen. If it doesn't happen, people get worried. Was my Hajj accepted? Right? So it, it, this, is, this is natural because your immune system is dealing with uh, a new strand of bacteria. This happens, this happens. So they were sent to the countryside as well. So there were many wisdoms in doing so. It wasn't that parents were abandoning ship. It wasn't the case. It was a, a necessity given the circumstance, right? And the circumstance is clear in front of you. We've all visited Mecca and we know how many people visit Mecca during every month of the year. So, and and we, we discussed the terrain and it lacked water and so on and so forth. It didn't have, I mean, you should imagine a place that doesn't have many playgrounds, doesn't have many uh, areas to, uh, for kids to run around and so on and so forth, right? You got to imagine a place like this. So they were sent so that they could be children. And we will discuss this inshallah when we cover the benefits. Also, we must realize that when we have this discussion about bacteria, mutations and getting ill, medicine wasn't as it was now. Medicine wasn't as it was now. So they would send their children out to avoid them getting sick in the first place. And we deduce a lesson from this insha'Allah and we'll discuss it when we get to the, uh, to the benefits. Now, the incident of Rasulullah wasallam and his... Journey to the countryside is well known. It's well known. You've heard the story before. And 
the books of hadith cite the story we know that he was an orphan as we discussed and when the females came from the countryside to pick up or to choose the children they were jumping rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam they chose to take other kids other than him right why because he was an orphan and perhaps previous experience dictated that if you take the child of a person who doesn't have a father perhaps you won't get paid and so on and so forth allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best right which shows that even the carers who would come in they would check they would run a background check you know today you have background checks inductions and so on and so forth so they would run a background check they would check what is the status of this child his father or her father and so on and so forth so everyone was dodging rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and all the children were taken and there was halima a female from bani sa'ad or as they say halima sa'diyah halima from bani sa'ad she was left without any children they were all taken and we can understand and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best that she too was reluctant to take rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam but now she had no choice so she came back and took him sallallahu alaihi wasallam when she took him sallallahu alaihi wasallam she immediately witnessed blessings in in her affairs her ride became faster her animals would give out more milk more milk than the other people's flocks right there was barakah in her time there was blessings in her home there was blessings in the happiness of the home the whole situation changed and then she and, and as a result she became extremely fond of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam because through deduction she understood that there must be something with this boy from the time when i picked him up the whole scenario and situation has changed there's more blessings there's more barakah a dollar goes a longer way they didn't have dollars then but you get the point that i'm trying to say right there was barakah this was the blessing of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam she became fond of him she wanted to keep him such that she even asked for a second term with him sallallahu alaihi wasallam and she was afforded a second term we know that she uh, he he went back and and stayed with halima for a much longer period and was only returned when halima became worried because of the incident of the chest of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam being opened so she was fond of him sallallahu alaihi wasallam from this incident brothers and sisters we have several lessons that you and i can deduce that have pertinent values in your life and my life today in the 21st century just the summary i've given you remember this is fiqh asira there's many new faces in the audience walillahi alhamd and i repeat this so that they understand what's going on this is we 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 we're running through reflections from the seerah we're not storytelling going into details of the stories we're summarizing because alhamdulillah we've sat many seerah lessons before what we want to do is extrapolate extract and deduce lessons from the incidents which we discuss that apply to our lives today there are many lessons that we learn so fasten your seat belts right fasten your seat belts firstly firstly we learn the important principle arraf'u awla min ad-dafa' this is a principle in islam prevention is better than cure prevention is better than cure where do we learn this from who knows 
We learn this, brothers and sisters, from the fact that they were sent to the countryside for the reasons we cited, to ensure perfect language, to ensure perfect health. Imagine if they lived in the cities and as a result they got ill and now you had to cure them. Or as a result, they learned poor language and they learned mistakes from the visitors that came in and now we had to correct it. Correcting a situation takes more time, more money, more energies, more resources than preventing it in the first place. Do you not agree? If you do not protect yourself from a, a situation afflicting you, you become afflicted by a situation. Now you have to fix it. That requires more effort, more energies, more time. Prevention is better than cure. Remember in one of our other lessons, we discussed this whole concept or we learned from one of the incidents, the importance of looking at the consequences of actions. Right? We, we learned or we discussed the consequences of the person who went to, uh, to Yemen, to Sana'a, and stained the walls of, 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 this, of this church that was built by Abraha. Remember that? He went and stained it in support of his belief. But he never realized that there will be a reaction. There's a consequence of doing this. And the consequence was a strong army of 60,000 with elephants coming to crush the Kaaba. Right? So, when we discuss this principle of prevention is better than cure, this is the same where we look at the consequences of actions. If, if the children were left in Mecca to get ill and so on and so forth, the consequences would be more time, more energy, more wealth, more resources would be needed to fix this. Rather prevent it, that is easier than fixing it. Right? And any teacher in the audience knows this. When a child learns something wrong, how hard is it to fix it? Any parent here would know who teaches their child. Even in hifth, even in hifth, right? I know from experience. And I, and, I, and I tell my young brothers and sisters who are doing hifth, if you learn something wrong, and, and to do hifth you have to repeat, ayat are memorized through repetition. If you learn it wrong, and let's say you repeated it 16 times, 20 times, before you memorized it, and now you've memorized it incorrectly. To fix it, you don't read the correct version 16 times, no. You got to double you got to double it. Think of a page. You folded it. You took a page and you folded it this way. 15 times. You fold, folded it this way. 15 times. If you want it now to be... Uh, now when you leave it, what will happen? It will remain folded, right? If you want to make it straight, do you just have to open it 15 times? You got to open it many, many more times before the paper ends up lying on the table flat by itself. True or false? This is common sense. If you memorize an ayah incorrectly, to fix it, you got to double or triple the energies used in the first instance when you memorized it the wrong way. Fixing it needs more energies, more time, needs you to repeat it more often. And even then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Right? So prevention is better than cure. Getting ill. If you know that my child here, the child is young, Mecca is well known for its many visitors. The immune system of the child is low. They never lived in societies like ours full of injections and, and, and antibiotics and, and medicines and so on and so forth. Right? And they say, let's leave the child with a weak immune system. What would happen? That was detriment to the child. 
So it was excruciating factors and circumstances that made a mother have to depart with her child and send her child to the countryside. And this is the second lesson that we learn, my dear brothers and sisters. The second lesson. And that second lesson is that parents have to take and may have, have to make rather difficult decisions for the betterment of their children. Parents have to make these decisions. Right? We learned this. The fact that Halima had to let her child go. This was a difficult circumstance. Which mother wants their child to, to, to go far away from them? You carried them for so long. For almost 10 months. Right? People say 9 months. And it's a common thing. It's about 9 and a half, right? right? For those who are fathers and were counting, you know. So almost 10 months. And then you have to send your child away. This is not easy. This wasn't easy. But these difficult situations, these difficult situations arise and difficult decisions have to be made. This is a parent's job. You cannot be selfish. Sometimes you have to change country for the sake of your child, for the sake of your child's education. You cannot be selfish. Sometimes you have to change your job. It's taking too much time. It's hemorrhaging your resources, your time with your child. Don't just carry on. Actively think that, hold on a second here. I have a responsibility to my child. I have a responsibility to being at home at certain times. I have this responsibility. I have to change my job. I have to make this difficult decision for the sake of my child. Parents make difficult decisions. Sending our children to nursery. How difficult is that? Is that easy for the fathers? Right? The mothers are watching via link. So we don't know. But I'm sure they know. I'm sure that right there where they are, they can relate to what I'm saying. Sending our children to nursery. How hard is it? Your child has been with you from day one. And a day comes in his life or her life where you have to leave them in a strange place. And imagine it's strange for you how it is for them. With strange people. And they're looking at you with their butterfly eyes. Glowing eyes. Glassy eyes. A, a film of a tear. They say, Mama, Baba, I don't like nursery. And you say, no, no, but you have to go. And we know it's two-year-olds. They can negotiate. Two-year-olds can negotiate. You know, they can probably solve the world problems if you stick them in a room together. Two-year-olds can. They'll tell you, but you know, I'll miss you. I'll miss you. What happens to the mother? Oh, my child will miss me, subhanallah. This is tough. <laughs> you know, but it's too long. Misery is too long. You know, I get bored. You know, I like being at home with you. <laughs> Have we heard this before? No, because we never took our children to nursery. Our wives took them to nursery, isn't it? Come on, remember we said yesterday, fathers have to man up. You have to man up and have a, a placement in, in, your, in, your, in your child's life. Right? Sending them to school. These are difficult decisions. But you make the decision. You know it's good for them. As a mother, you, a mother knows, a father knows, this is hard, my child is hurting. And it hurts you more that they're hurting. Right? Because you never ever one day in your home allowed them to hurt. But you know it's good for them. Just like medicine. What can you do? It's bitter, but you have to take it. Right? It's good for you. So we learn from this that, that, that how important it is for parents to make critical decisions for the betterment of their children's lives. Sometimes you don't want to take away the PlayStation or the Xbox. 
But the harm is far greater than the good. You as a father have to make the decision. You can't say, I can't handle my child crying. It's a difficult decision, yes. But a decision they will grow to respect and love you more as a result of when they get older and understand the reality of life. Tough decisions have to be made. Tough decisions have to be made. Halima had to leave, had to let her child go to the countryside. It wasn't as if, you know, it's just next door or just down the road, you know, or in the next neighborhood. No, it was a distance. One had to traverse a distance to get there. So it wasn't as if she was going to meet him every time in the day, a couple of times a day and so on and so forth. Absolutely not. But she made the decision because it was necessary. It was for the betterment of the child. And that is why my dear brothers and sisters, one of the major lessons we gained from the incident of Rasulullah going to the countryside is the importance of having a robust tarbiyah methodology in your home for your child. There's many things we can discuss. Time doesn't allow number one. And number two, I want to keep the lesson specific to the incident so we remain on track. But you and I both know this topic is an ocean that has no coast. You know this, right? You know this. Looking after our children is not something that expires or knowledge that becomes old. It's always growing. For the purposes of our sitting, I want to discuss three matters to you. Firstly, feeling the weight of responsibility, number one. Secondly, protecting our children from the evils of our environments. Thirdly, creating stable environments. These are three things I understand when I ponder over why the Arabs would send their children to the countryside. Number one, letting them feel the weight of responsibility. This is why the maturity of the Arabs was far greater than the maturity you and I have today. You know, I was asked a question the other day, that how do we respond to non-Muslims when they talk to us or ask us about Rasulullah marrying Aisha radiallahu anha. We all know the incident. And I said, we don't respond. We don't respond. Because this is not a question which you and I can answer. Except after sitting down with the person who asked the question and sharing with them an introduction. Making them understand the reality of Arabia. The reality of the upbringing. The reality of the people. You cannot base your understandings built on the premises you have understood from your life here today. It can't work. And the same thing happens with many of the other questions that are asked about Islam, about the, the penalty for leaving Islam, for example. This is not something you can answer just on the spur. You have to take the questioner, you have to sit them down, and you have to give them an introduction, a necessary introduction. Bring them upon the platform that makes them ready to receive your answer. But if they are listening to your answer based on their understanding of modern day ideologies and concepts and methodologies, it's never going to work. It's never going to work. You're going to be wasting your breath and wasting each other's time. Right? Because we must understand this. We must understand this. This was a side point, of course. A side point from where? Us discussing why they were more mature. Imagine Rasulullah being born as an orphan as we discussed yesterday. Doesn't that bring about a level of maturity already 
from the first breath that he breathes? It does. Imagine him now being shifted to the countryside, to a strange home with somebody else. Does this not create maturity within the child? Of course it does. Of course it does. It definitely gives them a maturity that a child who's been brought up with his or her parents cannot have. Different circumstances, different experiences grow us in different ways. You and I both know this. We know this. This is common sense and this is life. Right? People who have different experiences have a different maturity to us if we haven't experienced those experiences. And vice versa. We might have an understanding of certain things in life that they might, might not have. Like our parents. Our parents have a mighty maturity that you and I growing up cannot have. Why? They have seen a life we are yet to see. It's common sense. They have gone through mistakes we are yet to make. And they've grown from those mistakes. And for the young people in the audience, that's why it's important that you listen to your children, uh, to your parents. Because you want to listen to them before you make the mistake. Because they made it and they know what it took to get out of it. And they know now how to avoid it. MashaAllah, this is one of the vibrant masajid that I've come to. And I like it like this, where the children do what they want to do and so on and so forth. This is important. We mustn't have too many protocols with children in the masajid. Because what will happen from a young age, we distance them from the masajid. They feel the masjid is a boring place. They should feel like it's a fun place. We know that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would allow the, uh, the, 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 the children to play and, uh, in the masjid. And, 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 and train themselves and practice and so on and so forth in the masjid. They used to play with their spears and so on and so forth. It would allow them. That's the masjid. The masjid is actually the hub. The, the masjid is actually the center point. The control center of all goodness that spreads out to the rest of society. It's the hub. It's the hub. Everything good starts from the masjid. Look at Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he went to Medina. The first thing he did was establish a masjid. Right? So it's nice to see this, mashallah. And I like your attitude towards the children as well. Towards the children as well. If you notice, there was noise at the back where the, where, where the kids were playing. I didn't say anything because I don't mind that. Rather that than them playing on the streets. Rather that than them playing on the streets. Wallahi, I don't mind that. It's little kids. If it was adults would say, we have to reel you in. Let's cast the rod and reel them in. Because their time for being children has passed. <laughs> right? But if it's children, it's fine. It's fine. We should be a bit more patient and try and, and listen harder instead of telling them to keep quiet. Why? Because let them love the masjid. Or if we want them to keep quiet, we should do it in such a sweet way that doesn't ever make them feel distant from the masjid. Or feel apprehension when it comes to coming to the masjid. Even when they stand in the front lines. In some masajid, I notice the elders moving them from the front line. This is wrong. This is incorrect. It's an incorrect practice. We should not move them. The place in the masjid is not something reserved by anybody. This is the house of Allah. Everybody has equal opportunity. Equal opportunity seating. Everybody has an equal opportunity to sit 
first come, first serve. If a child comes and sits in the front, we should not move them. It's this child's right. You moving them is going against the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam number one. Number two, it's causing them to have apprehension with regards to the masjid. And that's why again, we were talking about looking at the consequences of our actions. Many a times we just do things. And then you see this young boy who's become a teenager and is far from the masjid and astray. And we don't know that subhanallah, what you did 15 years earlier was the means of that. Allahul Musta'an, may Allah protect us. Ameen. And protect our children. Ameen. And return our youth to us a beautiful return. Ameen. Ameen. So brothers and sisters, the weight of responsibility, it creates maturity. These young children were growing up with great maturity. They were already experiencing life. We need to do the same with our children. We need to give them responsibility. We need to allow them to make mistakes when you and I, their sincerest advisors are alive and around. They should make mistakes when we are around so we can correct them. If you don't allow them to make the mistakes, you mother them so much and father them so much, tomorrow Allah will take you to him and your child will left behind, will be left behind. May Allah protect all of us. And our children now will have to take responsibility and make mistakes and learn the hard way. You could have made the task easier for them, the transition process easier for them. You could have made their futures easier for them. Let them feel the weight of responsibility. I'm not telling you how, every home is unique. And as I said, mashallah, there's a rainbow nation in front of me. Right? Australia has everybody here, mashallah. Everybody, different nationalities, different backgrounds, different upbringings. You know in your culture, your home, your place, what denotes responsibility? I'm not saying now when you travel and mashallah, you're a big family, you take all 10 passports and give it to your young child. So you're in charge of the passports. No, I'm not saying that. Don't get me wrong. Then you get the passports, get lost, and then you start phoning me. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> right? Right? I'm saying in the right place and time, let them have responsibility and watch over them and allow them to make the mistake. The tragedy is not in making a mistake. The travesty is in not learning from the mistake. And if they cannot make mistakes in front of us, who will teach them tomorrow? We are their best teachers. We teach them with love, with care. We're not teaching them with bias. We're teaching them sincerely, wanting them to be the best, better than us. So this is the first lesson. We learn the fact that they were sent to the countryside, they were left to feel responsibility. Make the tough decision. Let them feel responsibility. Number one. Number two, my dear brothers and sisters, and, and just to, to cap point number one, point number one, we know those who specialize in education say that the best learning happens through experience coupled with emotion. Subhanallah. It's amazing. And it's true. Think about it in your life. Think about the incidents you remember. And you'll see that they, I remember them because they were extreme circumstances. I was stuck somewhere and come, someone helped me. I was abandoned somewhere and, and help came. You remember those people. You can remember those circumstances. Because there was emotion, there was fear, there was worry. Right? And so it's an experience coupled with emotion. The same thing when they send their children to the countryside, they were learning with emotion. So they were growing exponentially. Right? So let them feel the weight of responsibility. The second point, the second point, protecting them from seeing the evils of our environments. We learned this. The reason why they were sent to the countryside was, that, was so that they did not 
learn the mistakes in the Arabic language was so that they did not learn the bad practices of these different people that came in different you can't control the environment when different caravans are passing through your 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 your, your place you can't control the environment they come with different ways different habits different behaviors different morals different manners different etiquettes right you can't control it so rather send them to an environment that does not have this so they're protected from seeing mistakes why is this important brothers and sisters because children learn first through observation through observation yes they are great observers you don't believe me how many people have children here i asked this question yesterday but well, let's ask it today alhamdulillah how many of you have seen mini versions of you in your children there comes a time in your life, mashallah, look at all the laughs happening. There comes a time in your life when you're looking at your child and you say, Subhanallah, I sit like that. I talk like that. I eat like that. This is the mini me here. <laughs> they learn through observation. Without trying, they end up copying. Children are imitative by nature. Imitative. They imitate. They imitate. And that's why my dear brothers and sisters, television, watch out. Watch out. Don't think, you know, many parents say, no, I just, I, need a, I needed a break, so I just put my, kid, I put my kid in front of the TV. Khalas. I put my kid in front of the TV, I get two hours break. You rather busy yourself in those two hours than spend a lifetime being busy, trust me. When they go astray. May Allah protect them. TV, yes, can be an educational resource. But the best way to use TV as a resource is for you to sit with your child and make the process more interactive. Not to let them just sit there as if they're in a trance and the TV just feeds them. Feeds them. Mind is static, not dynamic at this moment in time. It's just mere feeding. Mere feeding. And then what happens when they sleep? They consolidate everything they've learned in the day. So they start consolidating confusion. Never let them sit in front of the TV unattended. Even if they're watching a cartoon, sit, sit with them. Sit with them. I had the little children's program today. So I was telling them, what, what, what cartoons do you watch? Barney and Friends? They go, ah, oh, that's old. I thought, subhanAllah, how old am I? I thought Barney and Friends was when I was old already. <laughs> right? But when you're sitting with them, make it interactive. When they see a character, ask you, what color is that? What shape is that? What did they say? And so on. Don't just let them sit and receive allow their mind to come out of the trance every now and again. They are imitative by nature. They will start imitating without realization. They will start copying without realization. And this is the lesson, my dear brothers and sisters. Don't think. If you don't fill your child's mind, your child's mind will remain empty. Absolutely not. This is a big red X. If you don't fill your child's mind, the TV will fill your child's mind for you. If you don't fill your child's mind, the neighbor's children will fill your child's mind for you. If you don't fill, uh, uh, fill your child's mind, the school and environment of the school will fill your child's mind for you. They will be your child's teachers. And it's not your child's fault. When your child goes astray and knew nothing better, and a father is with a whip screaming at his child, this is, this is an irony. Wallahi, it's an irony. Wallahi, it's an irony. It was the father and mother's decisions that created this product. You decided where your child goes to school. You decided whether to send them overseas. 
You decided the upbringing you wanted to give them. You decided, you decided, you decided. Now they're just following through. They are a product of what you created. And that is why I tell parents when they scream at their children that when you point a finger, three fingers are pointing back at you. When you're blaming the child saying you, you're blaming yourself three times before that. You didn't take time. You know, there was a study talking about how how, how TV makes our children consumers before they even know that they need money in life. <laughs> they say when, when a company, for example, say a cereal company, any cereal company, we're not being specific here, any cereal company, decides that they want to sell cereal. Children's cereal, what do they do? Do they go to the advertisement company? No. They go to a psychologist. What's the, what's the psychologist going to do? They ask the psychologist, how best can we get into the child's mind? How best can we market this so that they relate to it? Naam. You think this is a billion dollar industry? Marketing and branding and advertising and so on. You think it's, you think it's a billion dollar industry for free? You think they, 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 would, they just had money to throw around when they decided to take some ugly footballer's face and stick it on a cereal box? They're not always handsome, by the way. I'm sure you noticed. Right? You would think, well, maybe it's handsome, so they put it on the box to make the box look good. But no, they're not always handsome. But why are they doing it? There's a reason. It's not that they were just bored twiddling their thumbs and had money to spend, Yani. You know? It wasn't, it wasn't the case. So the psychologist will tell them, children relate to round figures more than square figures. They relate to round figures more than square figures. So create a character that's round. Create a character that's round and make this character do these amazing cool things. And you see in cartoons, all the baddies are square and all the goodies are round, except in some circumstances. The other day I, was, I, I, I said this and one kid said, Spongebob is a good, good cartoon and he's square. <laughs> Our children are ajiva, they're clever, they're clever. Once I was telling a child, don't cry over spilled milk. He said, why? I said, because it's spilled. So I can still drink it. I said, it's dirty, you can't drink it. He says, no, now there's a machine, you can suck up the milk and clean it. And then I can drink it. He said, MashaAllah, Allahu Akbar. Little four-year-old, five-year-old. There's a machine that can do this. Allahu Akbar. I guess we are old. <laughs> so, the cereal company goes to the... To, to the advertising company and says, this is what we need. Here's the brief, this is what we need. So this little character gets created and he's on screen and he's doing these cool things, surfing and flying upside down and flying out of helicopter, jumping out of helicopters and so on and so forth. And then when he's tired, he gets onto the beach, gets his towel, cleans himself and he gets given a bowl of XXX cereal. <laughs> so what is your child doing? He's sat and he's watching. Wow. This character does cool things. And you know what? He eats that cereal. Okay. I wonder what that is. And then what happened on Sunday? Mommy said, come, let's go to the shops. So he took little boy to the shops. What does the, the company do? Company say, tells the shops, look, we will pay you. And you know that now there's on shelving, you pay where you want your products to be. Even, even the, the supermarkets have realized that, you know what? There's value in the upper shelf and the bottom shelf and the middle shelf, depending on product. So supermarkets now charge you. When you want distribution and come to them and say, I have a product, 
They'll tell you, right, do you want to pay extra and we put it on this shelf? Or you don't want to pay and it will be somewhere else. They've realized there's value here. Let's make money from it. Right? So, they tell the supermarket, look, this cereal here, put it on the lower shelves. Because the people who we're selling to, they know, we've made them consumers from TV. Ready-made market. Parents always stick their children in front of TV. Right? So, we know they are about this high. So, they can only see the first two shelves. So, put it on the bottom two shelves. So now you're walking with your little boy in shop and he's looking right and left and he's daydreaming and thinking and happy and then all of a sudden his eye falls on his friend who he watches every day at home. Subhanallah. So he says, Mommy, I want the cereal. You see, he's a consumer before he even knew you need money to get that cereal. Naam. Naam. Protect your children from seeing bad. This is from prevention is better than cure as well. In our homes, don't let your children learn bad. Don't let your children see your bad manners. If you're a man and you have weakness in how you speak to your wife, hold your tongue. Hold your tongue. Ask forgiveness from your wife. Ask forgiveness from Allah. Make dua to Allah to assist you. But in, when you're in the interim period of ridding yourself of that bad habit, be extra careful when your child is in the room. If your child sees you as the father, bad-mouthing the mother, the child will naturally speak to the mother that way. And it's not that the child does not respect the mother. And this is the irony. When the child then does it, then the father will say, respect your mother. Ah, prevention is better than cure, dear father. Saying respect your mother is not going to mean anything now because he doesn't even know that he's disrespecting his mother. This is natural. I'm just, I'm just being how you are. I don't know this is wrong. Allah removed you from the wombs of your mothers and you knew nothing. Who taught you? The environments teach us. Right? Yes, Allah is the ultimate teacher. But our, it's the sunnah of Allah that our environments affect us. So they would send them away because they wanted them protected from evil, from seeing bad manners, morals, etiquettes, bad language. It's better that they don't see it because they will naturally acquire it given how imitative they are in nature. That's the second point. The third point, stability. We learn stability from this lesson of how Rasulullah was sent out. Why? Because the environment of the countryside was far more stable than Mecca. For the reasons I've cited. Different people in and out, different accents, different dialects, different habits, different behaviors. This is not a stable environment for a child. He's out there playing, one minute he's seeing this, then he's seeing that. There's no way he's going to become steady and sturdy. There's no way. The environment in the countryside was far more stable. The children would run around, there was place for them to run. It was an environment of tarbiyah and being nurtured. Halima had her children, Rasulullah used to play with them. We know this from the incident of the chest being cut, which inshallah we will finally get to tomorrow. There's so many lessons come about, this is what happens. Right? He, he, we know that he, he was out playing with them. Stable environments. Stable environments. Seeing the same people every day for a period. It nurtures a sense of consistency in the child. We know that children, they consolidate what they learn after they learn it. Right? If, it's, if, if everything is, if they just mix and match, it becomes confusing for them. A stable environment allows them to consolidate similar learnings. Learnings which don't contradict each other. 
Even in our homes, brothers and sisters, in this century, we should learn this. The importance of having a stable environment. The importance of only allowing, for example, people who fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enter your home. Not just anybody. People who think the same like you. People who have similar habits. Because your child is going to see this uncle and auntie that you've allowed into your home. Tomorrow you won't be there. They will see them as my dad's friend, my mom's friend. And they will happily take guidance from them. They will happily jump in the car with them. Create a stable environment, like-mindedness, where there's no contradiction in their learnings. This is good for them. Allow people who fear Allah only to enter your home. This was from the teaching of Rasulullah wasallam. He said, don't let people partake of your food except the muttaqun, those who fear Allah, those who are God-conscious. And the scholars say there's greater wisdom to Rasulullah saying, partake of your food. Because we, you and I know, nobody comes into our home and just opens our fridge. Unless they're part and parcel of the fabric. They have a consistent movement in and out of our home. It's like home. They come and they partake of our food. This is from the eloquence of Rasulullah He's not saying even the strangers make sure they're muttaqun. That is true, but he's saying those who you let get come in and out of your house regularly, make sure they fear Allah. They have the right manners, the, the right morals, the right etiquettes, the right adab, the right speech patterns. They share, share similar teachings to the teachings you have given your child. This is how you create stability in your home. Your home also should not be haphazard. Should not be haphazard all the time. Movement, constant travel. Travel should happen when it's time to travel. And we should be settled when it's time to, to settle. I'm not saying we shouldn't be spontaneous. It's good sometimes, you know. You know, the, I know the sisters on the other side are saying, well, our home is never haphazard, always the same. There's no, we need to have some... Something spontaneous, you know, something which just happens on off the cuff. Hey, we're going for dinner today. Wow, wow. Come out of the kitchen. Let's go for dinner. But I've cooked. It's okay. We're doing something different today. That's good. I'm not saying that's bad. But be spontaneous when the time to be spontaneous arrives. And allow settlement when the time of settlement exists. This is good for your children. Remember, we're speaking about children. That's why, understand brothers and sisters, you cannot live the same life you lived with your wife and wife with her husband before children, after you have children. Changes have to happen. Can't be the same. Where you're always going out to eat and you're always visiting and you're always out of the house and so on and so forth and your child is out of routine, the sleep times are messed up. You know children when they don't sleep how groggy they get, upset they get. And if they don't have settled routine times to sleep, it's very unsettling for their development because we know children's best learning happens also when they're sleeping. They consolidate what they've seen when they awake and what they hear when they awake. If their sleep times are upside down, this affects their cognitive abilities, their mental growth, their intelligence. Right? We learn all this just from the fact that Rasulullah was sent to the countryside for those who ponder. For those who ponder. This is the seerah. We're not discussing anything else. This is the life of Rasulullah Every part has a massive impact in our life. May Allah grant us the understanding. Ameen. Ameen. From the lessons, my dear brothers and sisters, that we can learn is the importance of language. The importance of language and the mother tongue. Because we, as Brother Alan enlightened us, they were sent to the countryside to protect their linguistic abilities and make them strong. And this is why the Quraysh, we know the Arabic language existed at a, at a mighty level. 
they were, they were skilled when it came to teaching the language. Learning the language started from the day you were born. You had to go to the countryside. Otherwise you lacked abilities with the language. And anyone who learns the Arabic language knows how deep this language is. And wallahi, when you look at the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'een and how they were understanding revelation, one cannot help but be in awe of them, subhanallah. Wallahi, anyone who learns the Arabic language knows this. And to think, subhanallah, they were just, a revelation was coming and they could differentiate between an obligation and something which is voluntary just from the revelation. Amazing. Amazing. What, look at the, what was the level of their language. Today we learn it and we can't understand that. We have to rely on the amazing works of the scholars of Usulul Fiqh and Arabic language who ABC'd it for us. They ABC'd it for us. It's all in black and white. We say, oh subhanallah, if it's like this, it means this. How did they know? It was deduced. Immediately, tilqa'iyan as they say, right? Language is important, brothers and sisters. Language is important. We know that when civilizations or when somebody tries to destroy a civilization, the first thing they try to do is annihilate the language. What, what caused dispute between East Pakistan or Bangladesh? I think it's East Pakistan, right? Bangladesh and Pakistan. What caused the problem? Language. Pakistan didn't try to remove the, the Bengali language? MashaAllah, there's some people well versed in history there. Right? This is what happened. They, they were trying immediately to create assimilation. How did they start? They said, we're going to wipe out this language. The moment we wipe it out and, and they made Urdu compulsory in the educational system, they will all learn this language. This was the way to make them forget their heritage. Right? And thus a war broke out. Language is important. Learn language well. Teach language well. Allow your children to acquire a solid founding in language. We learn this from the, the life of Rasulullah right? And better still, learn the Arabic language. Wallahi, it's more important than your cultural language because it's the language of your religion. It's the, it's the language of your religion. Today, subhanallah, a person doesn't know his cultural language and he knows Arabic language and we frown upon him. He knows the most important, which is his is, Islam is more important, closer to us than our culture. We know this. I'm not saying we still shouldn't learn our cultural language, but I'm saying we should be just in how we speak to people. So they appreciate the values. They still know that what they've done learning the Arabic language is good. Not that they're frowned upon. No credit is given to them for it. And then we, we, we highlight the fact that the cultural language they don't know. No. Praise them for the Arabic language. Say they did a great thing, the greater thing. And tell them, you also need to learn your cultural language. It's good for the preservation of your heritage. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as it doesn't contradict the Islamic teachings, culture was never a problem. May Allah grant us the understanding. I mean, from the lessons, brothers and sisters, that we learn is that, and this is the last thing I'll say, is that what you and I sometimes see as negative is not always negative. Where do we learn this from? Anybody know? Yes. No. They knew that was good. Yes. No, no, from the seerah. Let's stick to the seerah. Yes. 
Yes. Who said that? MashaAllah, Tabarakallah. When they were reluctant to take Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam because he was an orphan. They saw it as something negative, something we shouldn't do. But if they only knew, if they only knew, and we, they saw the barakah that came in the life of Halima. Not everything which you and I see as negative is negative. And the, I think I told you the other day, right? I told you the other day that there's nothing like complete evil. Did I not share this with you? Did we share this lesson, Brother Tahir? There's nothing like complete evil? You remember this? Let me repeat it. There's nothing which is complete evil. If you see something as negative, it doesn't mean it's totally negative. It's negative from where you see it. I'll give you an example. And I shared this example earlier. Those who watch the videos will say, yes, it was spoken about. Inshallah, I hope I'm not wrong. We all human beings, we forget about the windscreens. You see, I did say it, alhamdulillah. I said, if hailstones fall from the sky and smash everybody's car windscreens, is that good or bad? Is that positive or negative? Bad, negative. Everybody's going to be saying, how's your car? How's your car? How's your car? Subhanallah, windscreen's gone. Okay. But go and ask the guy who sells windscreens. You ask him, was this good or bad? He's going to say, it was very good. <laughs> right? He's going to say, my stocks, I'm sold out. I'm, I'm sold out for the first time in my life. I can, I can go to the Maldives. Alhamdulillah, it was very good. The best thing that could have happened. There's nothing like complete evil. There's nothing like complete evil. I even shared with you the story of Yusuf alayhi salam. When he was thrown into the well as a seven-year-old boy, six-year-old boy, a young boy, shirtless, good or bad? Bad. But 50-something years later, when he's the minister of Egypt and he couldn't be there if he wasn't thrown in the well 50 years earlier. Was him being in the well good or bad? It's very good. Very good. Because he was the only one who could manage the drought like he did where he had food for Egypt and surplus food for Palestine and the surrounding areas. No other minister would have done that. So Allah was looking after the people that were going to ex experience a drought 50 something years later by putting Yusuf in the well. But our wisdom is limited. It's limited. We lost our job, we're complaining. Our, we had issues with our wife, we're complaining. Yes, we try our best. If it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. Turn to Allah, get closer to Allah. Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an says an amazing statement. Listen to this, I've translated it for you. He says that a person becomes concerned with trade and position in life and material well-being and financial standing to such an extent that when it becomes, uh, to such an extent that it becomes easy for him to acquire it. It becomes easy for him to acquire it. And then Allah looks at his case. And Allah tells the angels, remove it away from him. Why? Because Allah says that if things are made easy for this person, it will be a means of his destruction in the hereafter. Subhana Rabbi al So the angels, remove it away. He says, radiallahu and then this person starts complaining that this person beat me, beat me to it. If only I did this, if only I did that, if only that person didn't do this, if only that person stood up for me, if only that person defended me, 
If only I learned my lesson, if only, if only, open the door to shaitan. We act in haste. إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ خُلِقَ هَلُوعًا إِذَا مَسَّهُ الشَّرُّ جَزُوعًا نعم. وَإِذَا مَسَّهُ الْخَيْرُ مَنُوعًا When he gets goodness, he's withholding. When, he, when, when, when evil hits him, what he perceives as evil, he's in haste, he's complaining. خُلِقَ هَلُوعًا He's in haste. إِلَّا الْمُصَلِّينَ Except for those who observe the salah, the true salah. He starts complaining. And in reality, Ibn Mas'ud says, this complaining person, if he only stopped and took a breath and took a step back, he would have seen that Allah was gentle with him. What is worse? Losing a piece of the dunya or being punished in the hellfire? What is worse? Allah was gentle with you. Latif. Allah is Latif. Subhanallah, brothers and sisters. Wallahi, something's cropped up in my head. Yusuf alayhi salam, after he was thrown into the well, taken as a slave, made to grow up in a house of idolatry, seduced by the minister's wife, seduced by the women of the city, thrown into jail without any end. Difficulty after difficulty after difficulty after difficulty. Missing his father, never growing up with his father, never growing up with his brothers, never growing up with his mother. Strange environments. We're talking 50 years, brothers and sisters, at least. Wallahu a'lam. He was about six or seven in, 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 when he was thrown into the well. He was 40 when, he was, when seduction happened and he, 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 he passed those tests. Then he was thrown into jail for close to 10 years. You do the math. Oh, 50 years, let's round it up, of, being, of experiencing trials and tribulations. And at the end of the story, what does he say? إِنَّ رَبِّي لَطِيفٌ لِمَا يَشَاءُ Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar At the end of the story, he says, Allah was good to me when? When Allah took me out of the prison and Allah brought my family and reunited me with my family, took them out of the desert. After shaitan caused enmity between me and my brothers. إِنَّ رَبِّي لَطِيفٌ لِمَا يَشَاءُ Indeed, my Rabb is gentle with whom he wills. La ilaha illallah. He's calling 50 years of difficulty, Allah being gentle with him. Look at the understanding of the Anbiya alayhimu salatu wassalam. Allahu Akbar. Wallahi, my hairs are standing. And all praise belongs to Allah for making me remember this. Wallahi. This is what he says. He says, Allah was gentle to me. What I lost is nowhere near what I gained. But most of mankind know not. Allahu Akbar. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. Asa an takrahu shay' wa huwa khayrun lakum. Wa asa an tuhibbu shay' wa huwa sharrun lakum. Wallahu ya'lam wa antum la ta'lamoon. Allah says, perhaps you love something, but it's bad for you. You don't know. And perhaps you dislike something, but it's good for you. You don't know. You're complaining about this job and you wish you had another job, but you don't know this job is good for you. You don't know what that job is going to do to the person in the hereafter. Allah says, and Allah knows, and you know not. <coughs> Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You know, you know what our problem is before we end today? We say we believe in the hereafter, but we live our lives as if we don't believe in the hereafter. When you ask someone, what are the pillars of Iman? 
آمنت بالله وملائكته وكتبه ورسله واليوم الآخر والقدر خيره وشره من الله تعالى right والبحث بعد الموت in some uh, explanations so he can read it out to you I believe in Allah and his messengers and his books and his angels and the last day and in divine will and predestination good and bad fate is from Allah طيب so you believe in the last day you believe in the last day you said I believe in the last day why do you live life as if you don't believe in the last day a child afflicts you and you go into depression as if your Jannah is this world and you've lost it you forgot that this is nothing but a place of, ex- of examination, a place that you and I are upon to build our hereafter, not burn our hereafter. We act as if we've forgotten that we believe in the life of the grave. We've forgotten that we have a standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of Qiyamah. We say we believe, but we practice something else. Nobody is talking the walk. Nobody's doing that. That's our problem. That's when we start blaming Allah. May Allah forgive us. That's when we start, you know, I'm asking and I'm asking, Allah is not giving. That's not what you should say. Wallahi, Allah is latif, Allah is gentle with us. It's for you to find out how. It's for you to find out how. Having, not having knowledge about something does not mean that that something does not exist. Is that clear? Not having knowledge about it does not mean that it does not exist. If you don't have knowledge of the goodness that Allah has placed in your difficulty, it does not mean that goodness does not exist in it. It's for you to be patient. Why are we told to be patient? Be patient until Allah switches on the light and you see the wisdom. You might stand in front of Allah on the day of Qiyamah and say, Ya Allah, Al-Firdaus Al-A'la, the greatest Jannah? How? I wasn't worthy of this. I didn't do these deeds. Allah will say, you know how much I took away from you? You say, Subhanallah, if I only knew, I wish you took away everything. May Allah make us patient people. These are the lessons that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made easy for me to share with you today. Wallahi, what I've left out is far more. I've only shared with you a drop in the ocean. But something is better than nothing. May Allah grow our love for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and grant us strength to continue learning from his seerah. Ameen. May Allah accept our sitting from us. Make the sitting one which pleases Him. Make the sitting solely for His sake alone. And may Allah gather us here in this masjid many, many times again. And gather us underneath His arsh on the day of Qiyamah. And gather us in Jannah with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. May Allah accept our Ramadan and bless us in what remains. And may Allah decree upon us witnessing the night of power. Ameen. Hadha wallahu a'lam. وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحان الله وبحمده سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته